Welcome to the Tech Study Hall podcast with your host, my dad, Dr. Rich Smith. Let's get started. Thanks, Finn, and welcome to episode 106 of the Tech Study Hall podcast, where you can go to explore all about 21st century learning and edtech integration in a safe space in hopes to take steps forward in your tech independence. My name is Rich, and this episode is going to speak to those going remote this year using conferencing tools like Zoom, Google Meet, etc., and how to avoid the pitfalls of losing engagement. But first, just as a reminder for our first-time listeners, our goal with Tech Study Hall is to to inspire educators to explore new ways to use technology as a way to accent their lessons while using 21st century learning strategies to keep students engaged. Whether that's using tech or not, the way our learners obtain knowledge is different from the way we experienced it. But the one thing that hasn't changed is the importance of relating our learning experience to a world that makes sense for them. Today's objective... A recent news article by Newsweek dated August 29th of 2020 highlighted reasons that so many teachers have either taken retirement or resigned from teaching. And I'll add that link to the article in the show notes. Now, this is a sad reality as education begins what I refer to as the Renaissance period. Citing the logistics of remote learning as a problem, others mention the health risk involved. These teachers are feeling afraid, skeptical of technology, nervous about the unknown exposure to safety of their health. These veteran teachers are leaving the profession feeling defeated. The article cites that 650 New York State teachers filed for retirement between July and early August alone. Others said they were leaving because they could not determine how to get the personal interaction they were looking for with their students through a screen. With ever-changing health and safety priorities shifting almost daily, other teachers and districts are struggling to keep up with the changes as those priorities shift, many of whom have to make that shift in safety at their own expense. Equally frustrating are those still struggling to even get their students' technology in hand so that they can participate equally in the digital learning required by some districts. You know, I can speak personally to this. I was shopping for devices back in May, June, and July, and, and getting expected delivery dates of September, October, and the one order that I made was even shifted to late December. That's half the year gone by. It's over with. We're in a technology drought, but expected to keep learning happening in our schools. You know, the expectations by all are so high right now. It's natural for us as teachers to feel overwhelmed, anxious, and all the other feels that go along with fear of using and integrating technology into lessons balanced with the social-emotional well-being of our students and ourselves. The demands for hashtags like we want a season or we want a school year have been balanced with in-person safety protocols to keep students and staff safe. Another story uh, by the Today Show on August 27th of 2020 talks about parents who are going to be protesting the mask policy in one district that was put in place and the students that rallied against them refusing to go on with their game until their parents masked up because they didn't want them to mess with what normalcy they can cling to in order to learn with their friends. Now, this demonstrates for me the flexibility and drive for our students to want to keep us as educators safe as well. And good for them in realizing that policies like mask mandates and sanitizing and distance protocols are in place to keep the community safe and they will do what is necessary to claim their education any way they can. 
This drives me to believe that we can make this happen for our students and that we can adapt as we keep the health and safety for all in place while learning. Look, I don't have all the answers to how to defeat COVID-19, and I certainly don't have all of the keys and answers on how we can ensure that we can all meet safely in person. But today's show is dedicated to some strategies that we can use to implement quality digital learning based on my experiences and some helpful tips and tools from some of who I consider amazing experts in the field of education today. So let's explore some of these together. Time for the lesson. If you've listened to my previous podcast, I explained the reason for using the term digital learning instead of distance or remote or teacher-led or online, etc. It creates a barrier between our students that they don't want or need a constant reminder of emotionally that we're from a distance from them, that we've created this gap between us. So there's a great explanation of this in this book called Creating the Anywhere, Anytime Classroom, a Blueprint for Learning, K-12, by Reason, Reason, and Geiler. Um, it was made in 2017. And I'll put a link for this in the show notes if you want to check it out. But for all intents and purposes, I'm going to be using the term digital learning for all learning that happens in a remote space. So we'll just call it digital learning. Which leads me to my first point. To be an effective instructor in the digital world, you have to start by building community. Explain to your learners about the expectations of learning, sure, but first get to know their interests. Let them get to learn yours. Explain how understanding each other is going to mesh into learning and what kind of learning they're going to be embarking upon with you this year. Establish trust that you'll be there by letting them know how to access you through a discussion thread or online office hours. Reassure them that you'll be there for them no differently than if you were in class together. You'll find that establishing that community of practice and trust will go a long way in keeping the student engaged in your course digitally if you show them that you have and will listen to them. Look for some ways to engage your learners online by encouraging the opportunity to do some icebreakers that will work remotely. Show and tells, fact-finding, puzzles, digital escape rooms, using Flipgrid to record getting to know yous, etc. are all great ways to personalize greetings and get to understand the individuality in the classrooms. Focus on building that community to gauge general interests for each other. Find commonalities and common ground to learn from. For other ideas, go back to episode 105 where we talk about the value of the start here topic in your learning management system. But again, I cannot, I cannot stress enough the importance of building relationships in general, but especially when it comes to digital learning. Now, for my administrator friends out there, I cannot stress the importance enough to you about creating that collaborative and learning culture in your building too. You know, when I get to work with teachers, which I love to do, I always begin with saying that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to, to have a little bit of fear or a little apprehension. You know, we have to embrace the fact that as educators, we are no longer the sage on the stage. And it's a continuous learning opportunity for us too. We are more than just spewing facts from a teacher's manual. We are a community of sharers. And we should be a collaborative cult of pedagogy that is ongoing, perpetuated by the administration that it's okay to keep learning ourselves and from one another. You know, building community all around with our students, our leaders, ourselves, starting with this in mind helps all other facets of our profession fall into place and hopefully lessen that apprehension or fear to using the tools associated. But before one can even consider virtual instruction as an option, the staff needs to first assess the equity and access to the Internet 
for your learners and teachers. Now, let's be clear about this point and then move on with how you can make that instruction happen for your students. So again, you have to start by assessing what, ex what ability your students have to learn in a digital landscape. Now, let's come back to our intro with regard to teachers resigning all around the country due to burnout or fear of infection. Listen, I'm with you. The fear is real. From my perspective, the reason we did not see high rates of infection among children is because schools did shut down when they did. We're now seeing reports of COVID-19 in students more older than younger, ages 16 to 19, becoming more prevalent in the school population. High schools and college campuses are seeing shifts back to digital instruction. So let me validate your anxiety. I'm here with you. I'm there with you completely. Currently, now my school is in the simultaneous learning situation where some students are online and we're broadcasting our classes to at-home learners while we have students with us face-to-face. -face. And it does add a degree of stress to the situation. There was definitely a learning curve involved. But why are we doing this to ourselves? Well, we want to offer the best opportunities to keep learning authentic and continuous for our learners. Should the need arise, we can flip the switch, so to speak, to move to an all-digital format and stay safe at home. Where the stress comes into play is that there's this pressure to flip the complete script and translate the seven hours of learning in the classroom face-to-face -to, -face to seven hours of continuous instruction in front of a monitor. And this was the biggest misconception we saw in the spring. We cannot take the industrial model of bells and papers and chalkboards and make it work online. We just can't. We see teachers moving to flipped classrooms and incorporating more media for one reason. The industrial model is not functional for today's learners. There, I said it. And I may not be popular in saying it, but there it is. It is not functional for all learners. Now, why do we use it still simply? It was because it was the way we learned. And so we force it on the generation of tomorrow. Farnsworth and Anderson shared a tiered model of digital instruction for virtual learners with Web20 Classroom. And I'll share that link in the show notes with you so that you can see it. But this chart breaks down tips for virtual instructions for our students. They start by looking at grades K to 5. They look at whole group via video conferencing, open office times, or even taped video instruction, which I think is important to remember that pre-taping yourself is just as important as being live, I think. As long as you're seeing that connected face and the hearing that voice, I think is just as important. You know, maybe even a telephone call or a letter. Um, but it should be every other day, at least once a week. And they're saying that that instructional opportunity should be about 5 to 15 minutes for K to 5. Keep it no more than 5 to 15 minutes. You know, again, we're thinking about the learning trends of our, our learners, right? Now, he goes on, they go on to say that for grades 5 through 8, it should be about 15 to 20 minutes. And here you're looking at whole group instruction via video conferencing, Again, open office hours, times, or taped video. Um, but we're going to use this, too, to also maintain relationships and do check-ins and short instruction to connect with peers socially, give them the opportunity to check in with each other as well. And it should be every day or every other day. Now, as you move into grades 9 to 12, and again, I'm going to stop at the 9 to 12 realm, not just because they did, because I think most of our listeners here are K to 12 teachers. Um, but again, uh, grades 9 to 12, 25 to 30 minutes of instruction time, whole group, video, video, um, via video conferencing, um, open office hour times or taped instruction. Um, again, using that time to maintain relationships, check in on each other socially and emotionally, um, offer some short instruction um, opportunities and connect with your peers. Um, again, every day or every other day should be at least 
um, that opportunity there. So you go from 5 to 15 minutes, K to 5, 15 to 20 minutes, 5 to 8, and then 25 to 30 minutes, 9 to 12. Personally, when I take an instructional opportunity, I try to make it 20 minutes of instructional time and then 20 to 25 minutes of follow-up um, activity, reinforcement structure, uh, definitely some time to reflect. Um, that's how I am face-to-face as well. And so, again, I think that that's pretty much the limit of what they're going to look at. If you look at the average time of a YouTube video for any learner, unless it's something like video game or something socially, usually the time that you're going to look at is between 8 to about 20 minutes, probably no more than 13 or 15 minutes for um, a 9 to 12 student, okay? But I guess the point here is that it's important to chunk the lesson in a way that make that we can make good use of their time with us online. Once you've checked in with them virtually, get to the heart of your lessons, take the prescribed time, and then provide them with a meaningful activity to drive home the lesson to offer some reinforcement. There's no need to keep the students online for an entire class period. Break it up into smaller parts and give them a chance to practice and reflect on the learning. And honestly, you are looking out for their physical well-being as well. It is not healthy for our students to be so dormant in front of a screen for that long, and for that matter, us either. This is even true in our face-to-face situations. When we're together in our brick and mortars, the shuffling between classes, recess, getting into groups, getting supplies, moving around the room, all give the students a chance to stretch their legs and move for a bit to keep the blood flowing. Why should this go away just because we're learning at home? We get so hung up on controlling the environment that we forget about the content of what we're to be teaching and how we should look for, look out for one another. We have to balance purpose over process. Give emphasis to what we're trying to teach our students as opposed to focusing on how they're participating in the activity. Don't tether your students to the screen. Provide them with the real opportunities to grow in their learning by giving them what they need, time to move, practice with their learning, and then reflect on the learning that took place. That is more important than how your class is facilitated and for how long. There's a web article called Four Ideas to Consider for Online Learning by George Kuros. I'll provide a link for that as well in the show notes. Now, Kuros provides some amazing food for thought for educators that are switching to an online format and things to consider along the way. I highly recommend you check it out. In the article, he asks to reflect on whether we are more focused on doing school or learning. Again, driving home my previous point about purpose over process and content over control. He truly drives a huge point making sure we are focused on our learners when teaching, which of course could be a great lesson whether we're face-to-face or digitally. But to sum it up, content is always going to be there. It's a valuable asset. And how we deliver that content to our students determines whether or not they find it useful or memorable. Do we just impart what we know on our students or do we explore ways to apply the learning in a way that impacts them? You know, when we look at doing school and promoting starting to looking for answers, or are we more worried about learning itself, which promotes starting with a question? Is it about consuming or is it about creating? Again, looking at that doing school versus learning mentality. Is it scheduled at certain times or can learning happen anytime or all the time? Is it about dates and facts and figures or is it about being there for each other and learning collaboratively? Is it standardized or can we personalize it? So again, this whole idea of doing school versus learning and, and, the, and the chart that he provides you is, is amazing. So please do check out this article. I think it's a great um, way to really kind of drive home some of the points of what we're talking about. 
I've always been of the mindset that even before becoming an educator myself, that if you can't show me how a concept is, is related to practice, it is less likely to be retained by my brain. And I say that to say, think about alternative assessment opportunities. If you still want to use multiple guests or true and false models, great. But don't make it summative. Make it a formative assessment. Come up with clever ways to bring the learning to life. I could stare at a chart all day about the stages of growth for flower, but have me plant a flower, chart its progress, now that I'll remember. My son's teacher did not want him to miss out on this unit of the stages of growth for butterflies when we went remote in the spring. And so she took the initiative to get the caterpillars and grow them at home. And she sent a video each day that asked him to watch and make observations about what he saw in the growth of the butterflies on their journey. And he had to draw what he saw. There were other readings and worksheets, etc., that had to do that he had to do, but what made the learning come alive for him was watching and charting, journaling that growth. That is learner focused. When we first started to learn to plan lessons, we quickly came to realize that it was all in the organization of our lessons. Teaching digitally is no different, other than how you might plan the execution. Now, to help you, my good friend Stephanie DeMichael, she talked about overcoming fear of failure in episode 103. Check that out if you haven't already. Anyway, Stephanie created this absolutely amazing template to create virtual stations rotations to help you with organizing your digital learning with your students. Her hope, too, is that you can maximize your time with your students while providing wholesome and meaningful activities to drive your lessons home, literally. The template is available in Google Slides, and yes, that link will also be available in the show notes. But in the template, she helps you to organize your meeting times, provide a space for your own video and audio links, create content for your instructor-led activities versus your online and offline stations. There's even a spot for enrichment opportunities in a section for keeping your learners who might be a little ahead of the curve engaged. It truly is a phenomenal resource. You can check it out on the link, or you can. Um, it has just recently been added to Slides Mania as well which, by the way, is another amazing resource for grabbing templates for both PowerPoint and Google Slides and creating amazing virtual classrooms for your digital students. I even know some educators who've used these resources for their face-to-face classes in an effort to blend or flip instruction. There's a whole community of educators virtually, like myself, those mentioned in the show today and more waiting to help you. Get to know some of them. Now, I use Twitter as a resource for building my own personal learning network. It's a great way to spur ideas, get involved in some education chats to share, and keep your skills razor sharp. Hearing about what is working, and sometimes not, around the globe. So I recommend that you give that a try as well. It's time to wrap it up. We're a part of one of the most resilient professions in the history of the workforce. We are evolutionary with the times. We provide a foundation of knowledge that carries from each generation, and we get to learn along with our students following the shifts and how we all learn together. All of this requires educators to adopt a mindset that change is going to happen. That is where our fears resides, change. But once we embrace that change and that it's going to happen with or without us and that we're going to be okay to explore and learn with trends and that our leaders, students, and families work collaboratively with us, We become less of the sages on the stage and more like agents of change, embracing the future. The possibility of learning differently is what drew me to education. I'm not saying the transition from traditional teaching to professional learner was easy, 
But once I saw the results of my students' buy-in, it drove me to work harder to be the change education needed to make learning valuable for our learners. I've met some amazing teachers throughout my walk of life. All of them have made an impact on me one way or another. It's the reason most of us became educators. So to my fellow colleagues, if you're leaving this profession out of anxiety about catching this virus, I understand. But don't leave because you fear change in the way we are teaching today. Remember that the life you teach today is the one that carries you with them as they teach or lead the next generation. Build that community, respect each other's time, and lead that change together. Until next time, I'm Rich here reminding you to give tech a try. Any small step forward is still part of the greater journey in learning. This has been Tech Study Hall. Class is adjourned. Be well, everyone. Music and sound effects used during Tech Study Hall is provided royalty-free under the use and mention license from hooksounds.com. Other music and sound effects are courtesy of bensound.com and incomtech.com. For more information about how you can be a part of Tech Study Hall, contact Rich at rmstechspot at gmail.com or visit www.techstudyhall.org for follow-up information, research, or contact options. Are we done yet? Ha, ha, ha.